Welcome to the Living to 100 Club podcast. Here's our host, Dr. Joseph Cassiani. Welcome to all of our listeners tuning in today. This is Joe Cassiani, your host for this program. And this is the podcast from the Living to 100 Club. Thanks for joining us and for being a member of our community. Here at the club, I've been promoting the notion of living to 100 and doing all we can mentally and physically to live longer and healthier. But I also like to emphasize that living to 100 is a mindset more than anything, a metaphor for pushing ahead. So we can say that living to 100 is a great destination or goal. But also, if living to 100 is not in the cards, we can always stay positive while trying. This is the important part, keeping the mindset that we want to live a positive life regardless of what these circumstances are. Our guest today will be discussing two stresses in her life, early trauma and being a caregiver for an aging parent with Alzheimer's disease. Vera Stasny has been a lifelong learner and seeker who is drawn to the unexplainable and the unseen. She is the author of Being Heard, Healing Voices of Trauma. Vera, welcome to our program today. Thank you very much, and thank you for having me. I'm looking forward to this. Yeah, me too. Yeah, glad to have you with us. So I always like to open our conversation by asking our guests to tell us about the journey that brought you to where you are today. Sure. I had two very successful careers, and I guess embedded in those two careers were several different experiences. So I probably had six or seven different learning experiences where I was pretty visible and quite successful. I was a teacher. I ran a peer coaching program for teachers that was non-judgmental. I was a financial advisor, a financial planner. As I said, a life, as you said in the introduction, a lifelong learner. So I'm always learning something new. I don't think a day goes by where I don't learn something new. But along the way, I had all these health bumps. But when I reflect back, all these health bumps were during transitional periods so that people around me didn't necessarily know I was going through something. So I just sort of believed that I coasted through it without it having any impact on me. You just get back on the, on the, on the ride and stay on the journey and keep going. Uh, then uh, my mother had Alzheimer's for 15 years, and I was in this high-stress financial advisor position. And she lived for... 15 years. She was probably in four different facility care. I probably had been in more facility care places with my mother than many of the workers who had only worked at one or two places in their lives. Sure. So I got to see, yeah, I got to see a lot of the, a lot of the different places and how who was, what their mission statement was made a big difference, and then. She, she withered away and died, and six weeks later, I wound up being told by my cardiologist that I needed heart surgery, which was a mitral valve repair, and it really sent me to a screeching halt, and it set me into panic, and as a result, I, I actually looked like a ghost. I was not feeling anything. I was in that, the new terminology is the freeze state. You go, you go, you're protective from fight or flight, but now they've introduced free state. And I probably lived in free state through all my health issues, but this one was, this was the worst case because I thought 
I had done all my healing work. I was home free. I looked at, I did whatever I could. This wasn't supposed to happen, but it did. So a friend of mine suggested that I start writing and as a, start writing as a way to help me through it. So that began my journey. I never wanted to be a writer. I never intended to be a writer. I actually struggled to write. I, I wrote a lot for the business, both in both careers in education and in finance. And it was always a struggle. But the writing, this journey of writing was a way of freeing myself. And so I didn't have to revise anything five times. It just came from the heart and it came out. Before I knew it, I had all these poems. Wow. Yeah, that's quite a story. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. So successful Mm -hmm. in a couple of business pursuits, education, finance, while also being aware of your mother's decline and, you say, 15 years uh, Mm -hmm. of her decline. How many of those years was she in a care facility most of them or a few of them? No, I would I would guesstimate about 10. We uh we went from getting home care help going for adult education programs where they'd pick her up for the day, day, day uh, adult daycare programs. Sure. Then assisted living and then as as things happened in the assisted living facilities that had nothing to do with my mother, change of hands, change of mission statements. We moved her from assisted living to another assisted living. And when she wandered off in the middle of the night to to go for a walk, they said she has to be in Alzheimer care unit. So we moved her yet again. So I would say it was 10 years in in facility care. Yeah, that's very... Sorry, Sorry, go ahead. Well, one of the things I did was uh, when I was working, I was very actively involved in encouraging people to buy long-term care policies and I kept saying their assumptions are wrong. People are living way longer. They're not they're not lasting one or two years anymore. They're lasting ten and fifteen years. So I think you either die within a year or two because you're not thriving there or you last a very long time. So it was quite an experience. Right. Yeah. So we can talk about that later. You know, very stressful, of course, um, you know, concerned about your mother and kind of making sure she's in the right type of facility, a safe, uh, secure facility, and being mindful of all the care that she's receiving and um, also dealing shortly after that with your own medical setback and the heart surgery. You know, you use the term free state. I'm curious about that because I've always found the fight or flight dichotomy, very limiting. I never quite bought into that. I always think there's more more courses of action than those two. So tell us about the free state. What's your, what's your understanding or how did you experience that? How would you describe it? I would describe myself as looking like a one-dimensional, as looking like a painting on the wall without feeling, without expressing a lot of emotions, without revealing anything about myself. Yeah, and I did a a volunteer project with my sister where we were helping uh, wounded warriors with PTSD, and they had this blank look, and it really touched me. And what I recognized was that I had a little bit of that blank look. 
certainly not to the extent of of people who had seen combat. So on the spectrum, if they were 10 and really not functioning very well, I was a one, but it, I recognized it, and that was a door opener for me. Yeah, that's interesting. It is that kind of uh, numbness or frozen. We're not moving. It's just that we're not fleeing. We're not fighting. It's it's just being frozen, in one, and that's how we're dealing with the stress. Very overwhelming, mm-hmm. overpowering stress, but that's how we deal with it. We just kind of uh, protect ourselves from any anything else happening. Yeah. Well, it's a creative, it's a creative survival skill when you sure. when you reflect on it. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. So that surgery, and you had other medical events prior to that, mm-hmm. and you learned to, as someone had recommended, maybe put some of these experiences down on paper. So tell us about your book. Tell us about your process of being heard, healing voices of trauma. What was that like to, uh, why did you write it? I I wrote it, it piecemeal. I'd wake up at 3 o'clock in the morning unable to sleep and I would just pick up my pen and write. Or I would hear something on television or in a movie or a book that I read that really triggered something that got my heart to open and I would just sit and write. I had no decision that, oh, I'm going to write something today or I'm going to write a poem. I just wrote as a way of getting those hidden emotions out from my body and onto paper. And it's only in the looking back that I appreciate what I wrote and that I even wrote it. And I look at it and go, who wrote that? (laughs) It's, I didn't know it's, it's coming through me. If I can use the word channeled, it just it just came out. So it it was a very it was it was like expressing raw emotions that I had kept hidden from myself that I didn't want to acknowledge. So on the surface everything looks really fine, but these hidden emotions take their toll on all of us. And interestingly enough, uh, Oprah Winfrey just released a book today called, uh, she co-wrote it with Dr. Bruce Perry, What Happened to You? And it's all about trauma. So it's what's your story, not what's wrong with you, but what's your story, what happened to you? So all of a sudden people are talking about trauma. And when I wrote the book, nobody was really talking about trauma. And it wasn't until I decided to put the book, to put all the poems together and make some head and tail out of it, make some make some sense out of it, and tried to come up with a title for it that I looked, what were the themes I was writing about? And when I reflected back, I realized that they were all about traumas. And in in the vocabulary of the world of trauma, they're talking about big trauma, big T trauma, and little T trauma. So big traumas are ones that, that we know about, the, uh, the, I guess there's a list of the 10 biggest traumas in our life, uh, divorce, death, loss of a job, relocation. But there are the little T traumas that trigger all of us that may not even go by notice to our conscious, but it gets buried in the body somewhere. And so by getting, that's where I came up with the title, like being heard, getting these silent voices out, and and it was about healing. It was a healing process. 
I think yeah. the writing was. I think the writing was the easy part. Sharing it was the much harder part, and sharing it with the public in general is the toughest part. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So really uh, confronting that trauma, and you know, we understand the cathartic process of you know putting words on a paper to express our feelings. So you had to be a little bit vulnerable to kind of re-experiencing some of those mm. traumas. Is that is that part of the healing process, that allowing yourself to be vulnerable again? I wouldn't say allowing myself to be vulnerable again. I would say allowing myself to be vulnerable, to really experience what that was. It's like I was once, in, I was doing a, a training and a, dogs, we were in a circle and dogs came and attacked. They happened to have attacked me, and the, the teachers, we were in a circle outdoors, and the teacher said, are you all right, Vera? And I said, yeah, I'm fine. We can go on. I just totally ignored that I had been attacked, and my the dogs were wrapped around my legs and knocked me over. I picked myself up and said, you know, just let's go on. And because we were in a, it was a somatic training program, he said to me, you're not all right, you're just, no, I'm not even sure he said you're not right. He said, just stand there and feel what happened. And when I allowed myself to feel what happened, I started trembling. But I would never have experienced that fear in my body if he hadn't invited me to do it. Yeah, so it is protective. We can shut ourselves off from those pains, those hurts, Mm -hmm. those uh, very frightening traumatic experiences but when you stop and somebody gives you permission or you give yourself permission to experience that that's where the emotions can be recognized and i think released you know is yeah you would agree with that yeah can you share with our listeners some maybe a couple of the early traumas that you're you were referring to uh sure in the process of writing, what I realized I was born into trauma because I was born in England during the Blitzkrieg, and so there were bombs dropping all around us. That is an infant. I didn't know it, but on reflecting back, we, we all jump at loud noises in my family. But the real first real trauma that I owned was being diagnosed with ovarian cancer early stage when I was 21. That was my graduation present from college. Right after I graduated, I was taken to the hospital and I had a, a complete hysterectomy. And that was pretty. That was very traumatic, and I just really stopped feeling at that point. And then I had, uh, I shattered my pelvis in a ski accident, and there was nothing that they could do for me. So the word was, go to your cave and heal. And that's probably began my reflecting process like really they're telling you to get out of this stressful world and sit and figure out what happened to you and I couldn't sit and I couldn't stand all I could do was lay down for six months and and heal so that that was quite a journey and it was before the internet before you could work from home before you could function so I really had a chance to heal my body which which I did And then I was diagnosed with some autoimmune diseases, which I now look back on that are probably related to the early surgery. And then the ultimate was was my heart surgery. And I spent 15 days in the hospital, had a really hard time, really hard time. 
And as a result, I retired from my profession. And I now say I'm a happy has-been. I'm having a wonderful time in, in retirement. I, my, I don't want anything that resembles a job. I, I want to play. Well, time to play. That's good. Yeah, That's, yeah. 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 We all have those bumps, as you said. We all have those bumps, and we fight to get over them and around them and through them or whatever it takes, right? Yeah. Yeah, and I think the choice of how you get through them is a personal choice, but always it's a choice. So you can dwell on it or you can move through it or you can let it be your teacher. And my choice has been to let it be my teacher. So... I've read your book. I know there's a lot of poetry in there, poems. And I'm curious, is narrative writing prose or, you know, book chapters, is that different from writing poems? Is is one more effective for you than the other? Well, narrative writing isn't what came out of me, except at the beginning of the end to do some explanation of of what I wanted to share. But narrative means you have to be organized and present it in coherent sentences that follow one after another. And writing poetry, I learned I didn't have to follow any rules. So it it just came out. It just it was just something I wrote. And so for me it was succinct to the point and it, it was much easier than writing a narrative. And sometimes it's easier for sometimes it's easier for people to read narrative because you have to connect all the dots. But my what worked for me was what came out, and it wasn't a conscious choice, again, that I wanted to write or that I that I could write, yeah. or that somebody wanted to read it. <laughs> yeah, of course. So that's a that's a nice distinction. I had never thought of it that way. It's really more free form for you to be able to put these words down without worrying about syntax or structure or grammar necessarily, but uh, mm. just let the words flow out. Yeah. And what I realized as I, sh- I, as I wrote them, I shared them with a few trusted people, like my sister and a few other people. And what I realized as I shared is it caused people to think about their own situation. And it may not have been my situation, but it, what I was going through was my story it might have re- one poem might have triggered off their sleepless nights because they were contemplating a job change, or their sleepless night because they were contemplating getting out of their relationship. Yeah, we can associate, not necessarily direct associations, but we can always react. Do you have a few, uh, maybe a couple of poems you can share with our listeners? Sure. Um, actually, as we're talking, I'm. My mind is generating what poems I want to share. I I think I'd like to share the prologue, which really answers your question about the writing process and journaling. Great. It's It's called Prologue. I sit here wanting to write, trying to find the portal, hoping a portal will open so that some words of wisdom will emanate from my being. But nothing comes. I cannot force it. I cannot will it. Hooded, closed. I need patience. I need hope that inspiration will flow. I need to be quiet and still, 
so that my heart will open again for those brief moments. It is not my writing after all. It is the writing from the divine. Yeah, it's that reflection and uh, really understanding where we are, what's going on, Mm. not being afraid of it, being able to open ourselves up to it. Yeah. Yeah, being the vessel. A a vessel, yeah. So I wrote a lot of poems about uh, death and in memoriam because I was dealing with not only my mother in facility care, but my aunt and two aunts, actually. And I watched how their children dealt with the experience of being in facility care. So I'm going to read, Did I Touch You? When I no longer walk upon this earth and I leave you behind, will you remember me? Will you hold me in your heart? Will you smile in those moments when you are reminded of me? Will you cherish me? Will you say I made you laugh? Will you say I made you cry? Will you say I made you angry? Will you say I helped you understand? Will you say I taught you something? Will you say I loved you? Will you hold me in your heart? Then I have touched you. Yeah. Well, it makes me think of the whole notion of being connected with one another, whether we're dead or alive. I always think that there's Mm. this, this connection that, you know, brings all forms of life together, whether we're dead or alive. So, what were you thinking? And, and then I should, I should read a, a one that's sort of humorous and light. <laughs> Do you okay. think? Sure. It's called the, it's called the game, and this really is about my relationship with my sister, but I think it's got a universal theme also about how you become you become, you. Bec- you play both sides of the game. Oh, it's called the game, as I said. The cat attacks. It strikes out with its paw. It hits the sleeping dog's leg. The dog retreats. It does not want to get caught. The cat attacks again. The dog retreats. It gets up and moves away, farther away. The cat attacks again, still not understanding why he cannot engage the dog in his game. The dog lunges at the cat. The cat retreats, licks its wounds, till the next time. Then the cat becomes the dog, and the dog becomes the cat, and so it goes. Right. So which is the dog and which is the cat between you and your sister, and then it it changes, right? And it changes. Yeah. You change roles. You change characters. That's fun. You know, it's the dance we all play unconsciously. Sure. Or consciously. (laughs) (laughs) Tell us about journaling. Journaling is different from writing poems. What's, What's the process like from your perspective? What does it offer you? I think journaling offers you a chance to find out what's hidden away without anybody reading it. You could just, just writing what, without judgment and without control and without thinking about it, to just let the words come. It's a very healing process. And I never kept a diary or a journal ever in my life. And, and 
I only started this after my mother died, I guess. But journaling is really a very cathartic tool with no rules again. I like no rules. <laughs> mm-hmm. Sure. So how would someone get started? What would you recommend? If somebody wanted to write a yes. journal, I think the first thing is to be to sit there and breathe and get centered and grounded and come come home to yourself so that you can drop down from your head and into your heart and into your own truth and just let the pen write the words without your head getting in the way. Is that helpful? So no objective in mind, not no goals, no particular purpose, just write. Right. Yeah. But yeah. that may not be that may not be everyone's choice to write. Sure. Somebody else could choose to paint or could choose to sing. Sure. Whatever yeah. way you can Go ahead. And say whatever whatever way you can find to give voice to your own thoughts and feelings. Yeah. And writing works for me. Well, I like your description of, you know, coming from your head to your heart. Sometimes when we're thinking, that becomes very conscious and deliberate, and we want to get out of the way of letting the underlying feelings surface. Yeah, I think you want to quiet the ego and let the true self emerge. Yeah, yeah, the uncensored self, sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So just pick up a blank book, blank pages, and start. Yeah. Good, good. Okay. Did you want to say anything else about that? No, I'm good. I think okay. I think you're yeah. Okay. So getting back to your mother, you know, and the the scourge of Alzheimer's disease, and you know, I've seen that in individuals, and you've seen that in your mother, and maybe others as well. There's a lot of a lot of difficulty just feeling so helpless about that. And you were working, I'm sure, at the time, and you were busy in your career, and your sister was busy as well, and um, it had to impact you both. Watch this decline. How did it? How did it affect you in your your everyday performance, your everyday work life? It affected me in my work life because I was only at work half the time. I would opt to go to take, especially when we first had to place her in facility care. I went out every morning to make sure she was okay and that she was well taken care of. And that I could teach the people who were caring for her who she was. So they would see her not as a demented person, but as a full, as a full human being who just happened to have lost their sequence of events. Right. And she, she spoke four different languages. And as she got more and more demented, she was reverting to different languages. And they would, the facilities would say, we don't understand her. And I would say, you don't have to understand her. Just look at her body language. She'll tell you everything you need to know. So I I set up a little exploration for myself. I would watch her body language, and I could predict which language she was going to communicate in, which was really amazing. And my sister, it it was in San Diego, and I'm in New York. And my sister's job was after I went, out for the day of the weekend to to be with my mother. Her job was to be there to debrief because I was so stressed from the experience. So I would just sit there and tell her what happened. But in the process, I would say that 
going through dementia with my mother for such a long time that it t- I got, she taught me things. She taught me to be in the moment, to be present. And so my job wasn't to tell her she, where she was. My job was to make her happy and comfortable, to, be, to fit into her reality, not into conventional reality. Sure. Um, and then the, she gave me a gift. It, I kept thinking, why would she have been demented for such a long time? And I realized in the process it really allowed my heart to open. So that was the ultimate sacrifice and gift from my mother. And the third thing I would say the experience gave me was a very complete, clear decision to do everything in my power not to be in a nursing home. So I'm doing everything to keep my mind active and my structure intact. Because your first clue that you're either in the nursing home because you you're, you have some dementia or because you're structure has betrayed you when you're in a wheelchair and you need assistance with activities of daily living. So I'm trying to stay as strong as I can and mentally fit as I can. Yeah, and keep that structure intact. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I think those we are, have, we all yeah, so. <laughs> Those are some beautiful things your mother left for you. Yeah, I think so. Thank you. But it yeah. really took that, it really took that quiet place and that place of reflection which is what the writing did for me to see what the gifts were because otherwise I could have viewed it as a nightmare and that was not my experience. Yeah, the same process people can see differently, right? The same events people can look at differently. The glass half full or the glass half empty. It's the same yeah. glass, right? It's the same glass. How how do we want to see it? I, I like your recommendation to the caregivers because when you talked about helping them to understand, look at this person in front of them as if she did not have the Alzheimer's or dementia to see her as a full person. And we had somebody on a podcast a few weeks ago who talked about this very thing. She she manages uh, memory care c- communities, and, and she said that's how they train their staff, that the patient there think of that person as they would be without the dementia and approach that person that way. Now, you can't necessarily remove the limitations or the impairment, but you can still try to see the person as if he or she did not have that debilitating mental impairment. So that's uh, that's great advice. Well, you know, if you're the caregiver, if it's your parent or your partner, I would say make sure you're putting pictures of who that person's life was in that room so they can see. My mother skied till she was 86. I had pictures of my mother skiing and of her her with her friends on the wall, so they had a full picture of her. Good advice. Sure, good advice. And you're still uh, skiing. You're an avid skier, I understand, right? Yeah, today was day, yeah, today was day 125. Of the gift of COVID, I've been up here in the mountains since COVID started, and I've been out skiing every day, almost every day, not every day. Not when it rains or it's bitterly cold, sure. but it's really it's been fabulous. So, and it doesn't even it doesn't even seem odd because there are a number of people over seventy who are here skiing a hundred days. Mm-hmm. We're in our Perfect. own bubble. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, whatever it takes. I mean, that's a great goal. Over a hundred hundred days of skiing. So 
how has it shaped your views on aging? What is it? What has it offered you? I think skiing has kept me young. It's it's offered me a chance to be out in the fresh air in nature. It's offered me a chance to be in community with other people doing what you're doing, and it really keeps you physically fit. Just the, it keeps you focused on a commitment, and it's fun. So um, sure. Sure. And, it does, and, and there are people who've aged out of the sport at 50 and don't think they can do it, but the more you do it, the stronger you get. What's, yeah. what's that, that you have to do something 10,000 hours to become an expert at it? I put my 10,000 hours in skiing. Mm-hmm. And I, sure. I, I, think, I think for people who are listening is pick something that you want to be, have your expertise in and put, put your 10,000 hours in. Worth better than putting it in a job. Put it in something in addition. I mean, we all have to, sure. Work, but in addition, to put your time in for something you really enjoy that gives yeah. you benefit, fun. Find that meaning. Find that purpose. Yeah. Mm. So, what's next uh, after you've got this one? Uh, Kara, nailed. What's next on the horizon. <laughs> yeah, nailed. What's next? Uh, what's next? A friend of mine who's a life coach said, "What wants you will find you." So uh-huh. I don't know what's I don't know what's next, but I'm leaving it open. I'm still writing occasionally, but I'm too busy skiing to find that still quiet time. But what I have been doing a lot is listening to webinars on uh, on the internet that are all in, on on all different topics. And especially since COVID, everything's gone to the internet. So, a podcast, webinars. So you really can learn about anything. So I've been really pursuing a, a journey of of healthcare, trying to solve my own health issues. My that's a tongue twister. My own health issues. So so that's been my my focus. I probably put my ten thousand hours <laughs> working on my ten thousand hours in in that too. Yeah, uh, self healing. That's good. That's perfect. perfect. Yeah, we're living in amazing times because the technology, the information, and the science are all converging to give us answers that we never had before. Right. At our fingertips. At our fingertips. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, At our fingertips. So final question, Vera, what would you hope our listeners take away from today's conversation? I would hope that people would take away that everyone's experienced some sort of – some sort of trauma and to just give themselves the gift of owning what it or, or think let it resonate and and let it heal because in order to heal it has to come to the light and uh, the second thing I would hope they take away is that a can-do positive attitude makes a big difference I am healthier than a lot of the people around me who have given into old paradigms and old beliefs so create a new paradigm for yourself that healing is possible, aging a- aging well is is an option and a choice. Yes, and find and find your voice, whatever that voice is. Find That's what great. the school find your voice for whatever this schoolroom is teaching you, or this schoolroom of life. So don't run from the trauma. Stop and face it. Mm-hmm. Let it uh, heal and move on. But we can't run from it. Yeah, yeah ask what uh, yeah ask what the gift is in it. Yeah, well, I certainly like the notion of staying positive and pursuing what we can and just continuing to move forward. That's wisdom that we can all benefit from. 
Yeah, you can't change, you can't change the you can't change what happened. You can't change the story, but you can change the perspective that you take on the story. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, we cannot change what happened, but we can change our perception of it. Sure. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's our movie. How are you going to present it? <laughs> I love that. I love to say that too. It's our movie. We can write the role. We can develop whatever character we want. Yesterday's yeah. role is not limiting us from what we're doing today. It's a new role. We can yeah. rewrite the script. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, Vera, it looks like we're out of time for today. But before we wrap up, I just want to share with our listeners uh, a few items. Be sure to visit our website, livingto100.club, and see our newest offering, Work with Dr. Joe, that's me, for scheduling one-on-one calls to manage setbacks. Visit the Work with Dr. Joe page on our website. You can also pick up a copy of my book on Amazon, Living Longer is the New Normal. I think that whatever age you're at, inspiration and positive mindset can be put to good use. That's my message in the book and something that our guest today has affirmed, I'm sure. Vera, thanks so much for being a guest on our show. For those who might want to contact you, how can they do that? They can contact me through my email, which is my first initial V and my last name, S-T-A-S-N-Y, V Stasny, NYC for New York City, at gmail.com. And they can also get my book if they wanted to read more poems. And the book is available on Amazon? Yes. Great. I just had it. I just had it republished with an um, updated introduction and cover. cover. So it's Great. yeah, it's a it's a a white book as opposed to the cloudy book. <laughs> <laughs> Being heard, healing voices of trauma by Vera Stasny. Mm-hmm. And Vera's email is vstasnyNYC at gmail dot com. Thanks so much for being a part of this podcast. Really enjoyed it today, Vera. Thank you so much for for the honor of being able to share my story. Well, you're most welcome. Thank you. And thanks to everyone for listening to this episode. Hope to see you next time. Let up, let up, let up.